you know, 42 and a half years ago, it was February of 20, no, my gosh, 42 and a half years ago, it was in February of 1975. <laughs> See, I was sitting on the couch. I was just sitting on the couch in February of 1975. I was watching TV with my girlfriend. I think it was a Dodger game. She's still a Dodger fan, by the way. But anyway, I was sitting on the couch in February of 1975 with my girlfriend. Her name is Kim. <laughs> and uh, I was renting a house at the time with my best buddy. His name was Roger Herman. And our, our landlord, he lived like right next door. And so we were sitting on the couch. Now it's in the wintertime. It's cold outside, but we had to have the front door open because my landlord said, men, you can rent this house, but if you have girls over, you must leave the front door open. <laughs> it was brilliant because that way we could like snuggle up close because it was cold outside with the front door open. So anyway, I'm sitting there and um, I've been dating this girl for like three years. Her name is Kim. Um, and, <laughs> and so anyway, so we're watching TV, we're sitting on the couch, it's cold, the front door's open, my landlord's happy, Roger wasn't home, because I set it up that way. By the way, we were both 18 at the time. And so I'd been looking at my calendar, and I'd noticed that about three months out, and about three months, you see, I, May 10th to be exact, I had a weekend off. I didn't have any work. On Saturday and Sunday of May 10th, 1975, I had the weekend off, and it was a full weekend off. So I asked Kim, I said, do you have any plans on that weekend? I knew she didn't. I mean, she had just graduated from high school. She didn't have a job. She didn't have a car. She didn't even have a driver's license. She wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> so I popped the question. I said, you want to get married? What? <laughs> That's why I asked her. Do you want to get married? <laughs> Very romantic, right? I don't remember what the score of the Dodger game was at the time. Um, but she said yes. It blew my mind. She said yes, but she, then she said something that also blew my mind. She said, did you ask my dad? We were 18. And I said, of course not. <laughs> Scared to death of your dad. <laughs> she said, if you ask him, and he says yes, I'll marry you. <gasps> so, the scariest thing I've ever done, I called my father-in-law. I don't think I'd have my future father-in-law. I don't think I'd ever had a conversation with a man that lasted more than two sentences. But I had to get this done. So I called him, and the next day, I went over there. My heart was racing. <laughs> so I have to ask this man if I can marry his daughter. That's really old-fashioned, isn't it? So, in my best Bill Burrism, I dressed nicely, and I said, Mr. Downey, sir, I would like permission to marry your daughter. <laughs> His facial expression didn't change. There was silence for what seemed like an eternity. And I'm staring at this man, he's like this tall. And I'm staring at him, waiting for a response. And he says, I'll never forget this. He said, okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> 
But then he said, on one condition. Oh. See, my girlfriend just the day before gave me a condition. I had to ask him. That was a condition. Now he's giving me a condition. I'm about to marry into a family that is a family of conditions. <laughs> What's the condition? And he said something profound I have never forgotten. He said, the condition is this. That you will find something that you are so absolutely passionate about. And I mean passionate. And you figure out a way to make a living doing that. And if you promise me right here and right now that you'll do that, I know my daughter will be happy and you can marry her. So I said, okay. And I walked out. It was that simple. Passion. See, passion is one of those words that we use and it gets tossed around all the time. It's kind of like the word awesome, isn't it? Who uses the word awesome all the time? I texted him. Pastor Tyler, yesterday, awesome! And it was about meeting for coffee at 7 o'clock the next morning. <laughs> awesome. But sometimes, awesome means that this is so amazing. It is so fabulous. It is so inspiring. I am absolutely overwhelmed. Awesome. See, I think passion is like that. Passion is just like that. It's hard to discern what real passion is all about sometimes. So what is passion? You see, the word originates in the Greek, right? Paseo. Like a pagdinsata. A pats, a pagdinsata. It's Italian. It's an Italian word. And you know what it means? Do you know what pat, not pagdinsata? I have no idea what that means, but... The word means, in the root of the Greek, it means, we're talking about passion now. It means to suffer. Now, perhaps you haven't thought, thinking back to my father-in-law's passion plea for me, now, perhaps you haven't thought about it this way, but passion really is the word that's used in Scripture to describe the physical suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. Now you know where the passion of the Christ comes from. It's passion. And for all of you English majors out there, if you look at the word passion in the past participle form, <laughs> I meant to freak you out. But who knows what a past participle is? <laughs> Dude, I've flown in English, okay? But if you look at the word passion in the past participle, part of, I can't even say it. In the past participle form, the word means to endure, to undergo, or to experience. It's a strong word that emotes it's emotion. It's so passion is so powerful an emotion that it's attributed to an experience we are either undergoing or enduring. And passion can both be good and bad. It can be sinful be righteous. And it can certainly be overwhelming. Anybody ever be overwhelmed by a passion in your life? And sometimes our passions can just override all rationality. Amen to that? Remember that. See, because when Paul wrote to, to, to Paul wrote 
that God gave them up to their sinful passions. And he wrote that in Romans 126. And check this out. The word that he used was pathos, which is in the Greek, which means what? Which means suffer. What he meant was when he was giving them up, he said, God gave them up to their sinful passions. He meant that he gave them up to an affliction of their mind, their emotions. They were afflicted. It was, it was suffering that they were doing. They weren't free. Passion always is an extremely intense emotion. It just is. It has nothing to do with the 7 o'clock meeting at Starbucks for coffee. In fact, the dictionary defines passion in part that it is natural to all people and that it is a violent or an intense emotion. That's passion. So everybody in here today is passionate about something. Everybody in here today is passionate about something. Amen. Oh, amen. It deserves an amen. Now, maybe you don't think of yourself as a passionate person, but based on the meaning of this word passion, trust me, you are. So now, I don't know if this is a testimony or a confession this morning. <laughs> I'm just not sure. But as I look back on my life, and perhaps as you look at your life as well, I think you can see more clearly that you have been, I know I have been, or I still am passionate about something, or perhaps in my case, quite a few things. So first off, I will tell you, at the beginning of this message, I told you about my girlfriend, Kim, who I married 42 years ago, and I tell you what, first off, I am passionate about my wife. I just am. I am passionate about her. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure she's passionate about me too. That's me? Oh, I'm pretty sure. Not totally pretty. Now, that may explain this whole 42 years of wonderfully wedded bliss. But I'm not sure if that passion comes from the root word meaning to suffer, which being married to me, I'm sure she has done a lot of. Or if we're just naturally attracted because of the passion, meaning that it's in a violent and intense emotion. I'm not sure. But seriously, you know, I look back and I think, the things I've been passionate about, you know, I have a 35-year business career, and I think I was passionate about that business, but I was just as passionate about playing slow-pitch softball for, for 20 years. I played so, slow-pitch softball, and I was, I was passionate about that as well, and I've been passionate about other things. For example, some of, the, some of you know this. Some of you know a, a little bit of a backstory, my backstory. But I will tell you that one thing for sure. You see, I can almost assure you that if it wasn't for this, I can almost guarantee you that I would not be here today. This is a parachute rig. See, in the late 1990s, my wife We'd been going through some difficult times, and we'd been struggling, and my wife decided that she was going to make arrangements for both of us to go do a tandem skydive. The problem was she never told me about it until it was time to go. <laughs> because she knew I would say no. I mean, who in their right mind jumps out of a perfectly airplane, right? <laughs> no one. But she, see, she already made the arrangements, and she paid for it. So what am I supposed to do? My, like, my manhood is in question here, so of course. Off we go to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. So that's what we did. We jumped. 
This woman loved it. She loved it. I was terrified. I hated every second of it. Couldn't wait to get on the ground. Didn't want to do it when it was over. The terror <sighs> stopped. And I thought, good, never again. The next thing I know, she signs us both up to go through the skydiving school. Both of us. She didn't tell me. My wife, she goes to school to learn how to do this, and you start jumping out of airplanes with people and you wear one of these things. You know, and the only thing you gotta do to save your life with one of these things is pull this little thing out here. Where's that little gizmo? This little thing right here, and it pulls out, and there's this little drum shoot that opens up the parachute that comes out. It's all good. She like whizzes through this school. It, like it's nothing. I have never seen this woman so passionate about anything in my life. And me? Not so much. Not so much. You see, because what happened, and the reason that I probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for this thing right here, is that on the 17th jump of my student status, you see, I, I had an opportunity. And I jumped out of the airplane, I didn't want to. I had no business being in that airplane. I had no business jumping out of airplanes. I didn't like it, I didn't want to. I was doing it because I didn't know who I was. So I jumped out of the airplane, I had an instructor along with me, and the first few seconds of the skydive went pretty good. Until I got into a flat spin. Now they don't teach you about flat spins, so I didn't know what to do and I panicked. So I'm plummeting to earth 120 miles an hour with one of those things on my back. And the one thing they do teach you is deploy your parachute, deploy your parachute. <laughs> so at about 3,000 feet, that's what I did, but I was spinning very rapidly and I inadvertently went upside down during this process. And it was kind of panic time, as you might imagine. So I was spinning, flat spin, couldn't get out of it, very fast, centrifugal force, almost blacked out. I pulled the parachute, I had at least the presence of mind to do that, but the parachute came up between my legs and wrapped me up. So now I'm plummeting to earth head down at 100 miles an hour, wrapped up in parachute cords with the inability to get out. This is happening very rapidly, of course. Seconds go by. The ground is coming fast. And I can remember being upside down trying to get those cords off of my off of my legs and there was nothing that I could do. It wasn't happening. It just resignation sat in my head. I guess this is it. You don't have much time to think. I'm telling you, this is just seconds that are going by. So about three seconds before the impact. Somehow Upside down, with those parachute cords wrapped around my body like a mummy and unable to get out of it. And I was essentially blacked out at that point. The next thing happened, parachute opened. Those cords came off my legs just in time to slow me down and hit the ground. So I lay there for a couple of minutes, a little overwhelmed by this experience as you might imagine. And I got up and walked away. Not a broken bone, no blood, no injuries, no pain. I was haunted by this. Haunted. Why? How? What does my life even, what is my life worth? What does it mean? What am I doing here? 
I went on a three-year odyssey to try to figure out the question that, that was just haunting me. Why? 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 Who am I? And I tried a lot of things. Zen Buddhism. I thought that was, that was the answer. Until I found out that was all just about me. I tried metaphysics. I had crystals in the house. I was searching for any answer. How did those parachute cords come off my legs in the first place? Why am I here? What's the meaning of my life? What's the point? You see, because when I was 39 years old, three years after this event took place, I found Jesus. I found the love of God, and I found Jesus, and I realized that the, the miracle that happened that day underneath that upside-down parachute wrapped up around my legs was a work of God. But God wasn't done with me yet. And I was going to make this thing anyway. See, because for the next three or four years, I was terrified of airplanes and skydiving. Now, my wife, of course, would go almost every weekend, and she would go skydiving, and I couldn't go because I couldn't bear the thought of even looking at the airplane. I could not bear the thought of looking at an airplane. And then she would come home after a weekend of skydiving, and she would want to talk about it, and I couldn't shut myself in the other room. I was terrified. Even with Jesus in my life, I was terrified. Until one day at the drop zone, they jokingly said, because I actually went with her one weekend. I hadn't been there for like four years, because that incident terrified me. And one of the jump masters said, hey, Bill, you want to go up and do a tandem just to get this over with, to put a period mark on the end of it? And because sometimes passion eradicates all rationality, I said, sure. So they strapped me to this big dude, and I went up in this airplane, and you know what? There was a piece about it. So I had a piece, I went up in the airplane, we opened the door, and we jumped out, and there was a bunch of Kim's friends from the drop zone, and they all circled around in the air, and you know what? It was kind of a pleasant experience, and the only difference was is that the first time I did that, I didn't have Jesus in my life, and the second time, I did. That's the only thing that I could attribute it to. That's it. That was the difference. Then, of course, that wasn't the end. Because then, of course, I went to the skydiving school, and I learned how to skydive. And a thousand skydives later, I became passionate about time. Then I figured out that, my gosh, it's just as fun to stay in the airplane as it is to get the heck out of it. So I got my private pilot's license, and I got my commercial license, I got my multi-engine license, I, got, I, would, I did all that stuff. I was passionate about flying. That aviation was my life. I said that aviation is my life. And I flew medical patients, and I flew for a, for a, 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 a Christian ministry in, in Alaska. And I, I, man, aviation was my life. I ate, I slept, I breathed aviation. And then... About a year and a half ago, then I had an appointment with a Cadillac. <laughs> and, and let me tell you about passions. Let me tell you about what God can do with passions in your life. You see, because I was passionate about aviation. In fact, the day that I got hit by a Cadillac in the parking lot over at Soul Park Golf Course, going to Bible study, no less, that day I was supposed to fly. 
think you're gonna be happy to know though that the Federal Aviation Administration thinks very dimly about pilots that have had traumatic brain injuries. And so the next time you're boarding an airplane, look in the cockpit when you go by, wave to those guys up there and realize that uh, they're not only well-trained, but more than likely none of them have been hit by a Cadillac. So God sent one of these before I was a believer to get my attention and a Cadillac after to get my attention. Apparently I'm a slow learner. Passions are real. Passions are strong. Passions are powerful emotions. By the way, have I told you about backpacking? I love the backpacking. Have you seen the socks that have the little toes in them? I don't know. That's pretty cool there. So, um, passions are really fun. I like being passionate about stuff. So what happens with backpacking, by the way, I'm supposed to be backpacking right now. You probably didn't know that, but Tyler and, and Richie wouldn't let me go because they said there's too much to do around here. But um, <laughs> anyway, I was supposed to be backpacking, but I decided to put it off for a year. So a little backpacking trip, I was going to go up on the Pacific Crest Trail, just a little hike. Um, and I was going to take this stuff, and I'm passionate about this stuff, so I got this. Here's my sleeping bag. It's all in this compression sack here. 19.6 ounces, by the way. And my knife protection, 2.9 ounces for that. Here's my rain, my rain jacket, uh, 6.9 ounces. And you might want to know what this is. By the way, guys, don't you laugh. Don't you laugh. Ladies, you should have told us this a long time ago. This is a rain skirt. <laughs> it is. This is a rain skirt. What, it's made out of human fiber. It's really, it's really tough stuff, but it's a skirt. I never knew that skirts were so fun to wear. <laughs> seriously, seriously, because I traded in my rain pants for a rain skirt, and it's awesome. They zip up the back. I'm not telling you anything you guys don't know, but guys, they zip up the back. You can call it a kilt if you want, but now you wear it. A little fat now, I get skinnier when I hike <laughs> And, and you wear a skirt. It's the greatest thing. The air flows and you don't get wet. It's wonderful. By the way, the backpack. Um, I really like backpacking. The backpack weighs 48 ounces, but I'm thinking about getting a, a lighter one because really it's about lightweight stuff because if you're going to do a hike, by the way, the PCT hike, you know the Pacific Crest Trail starts in Mexico and it goes to Canada? Just 2,660 miles. It's just a little jump. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind would hike 2,660 miles, though, would they? No. No. That's one way. 2,660 miles from Mexico to Canada. That's like nuts. But remember what I said? That sometimes your passions can override all rationality. Because sometimes that happens. But I'm pretty rational, so I'm going to start uh, in Truckee. And in Truckee, Truck California, you know, on, on Highway 80, because the press trail goes right through there. So all I got to do, by the way, I'm looking for a ride if somebody wants to take me up there. I'm looking for a ride in Truckee, so when I'm going to start in Truckee, just a jump. So we're going to start in Truckee. Well, actually, I can't get anybody to go with me. Imagine that. So I'm going to go by myself. I'm just going to go by myself. I'm going to go up the Pacific Crest Trail. And I'm going to start in Truckee. It's only 1,500 miles. Now, that's way more rational than 2,660, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but see, the thing is, guys, why would anybody do any of these things? Really? Why would anybody do any of these things? Because 
think it's all about passion, isn't it? It's about passion, it's about purpose, and it's about life. Man, it's about life. See, people tell me all the time, man, you can get lost in your passions. You can either find yourself or lose yourself in what you're passionate about. And that's all good, isn't it? Of course it is. But it's all about me. Getting lost in my passions is fine if it's all about me. So does that mean that having these passions is wrong? Well, no. You see, the passions, your passions, my passions, those passions, there's nothing wrong with the things that you're passionate about in life. What's wrong is getting them out of order. Because passion, purpose, and life, in that particular order, those things are mutually incompatible with your Christian walk. So even if your passions aren't sinful, even if they're righteous, there's nothing sinful about jumping out of airplanes or hiking long distances or flying airplanes. But even if they aren't sinful, many a Christian is missing the blessing of complete freedom and the freedom of knowing, first and foremost, who you are to pursue those passions. The freedom to pursue your dreams and passions based on who you are and a correct and accurate understanding of God's purpose for you and ultimately all your passions flowing out of that is freedom. See, your passions will never define who you are and you will never find yourself flying upside down, jumping out of an airplane, or hiking 20 miles a day for a couple of I would submit that most of us, me included, have either missed or are missing a foundational biblical truth here. For a follower of Jesus, it can't be passion, purpose, and life. It can't be. Because that makes it all about you. For the believer, it's life, purpose, and passion. And so let's go to God's word and let's see what he has to say about that. But first, let's pray. God, we're going to open your word here. Your word is truth. Teach us, speak to us, reveal to us your design for our life, God, our purpose, and our passions. Lord, reveal these things to us through your word. Lord Jesus, amen. If you turn to 1 John 5.12. 1 John 5.12. We're going to start there. We're going to take a look at these truths of knowing and understanding and most importantly appropriating, which means believing and just owning we have to own, don't we, the truth of God. The truth of who we are, we have to own that. And then we have to apply it. That's what appropriating means. We have to learn that our passions start with your life and your purpose first. So what about your life? What about your life? 1 John 5.12. Actually, we're going to start in, in verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Check it out. Mark prayed for an open heart this morning. I hope our hearts are open to what God wants to reveal to us. Verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Simply put, the gospel message spoken to us right here. First John. You see, the good news is 
that God has given us the free gift of eternal life in and with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And if you put your faith in Christ, you have been given a spiritual and eternal life. And whoever is without Christ, whoever is without Christ, does not have life. Whoever does not have Christ is without life. For me in my life, that could have been devastating. <coughs> this is the first truth to understand about your life. It is a gift given by God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Second Corinthians 5.17. You don't have to turn there because you are all familiar with this one. This verse, and it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There is a new creation in Christ. You know that? It's you. And you, and you, and you. You are a new creation in Christ if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are new as in, as Pastor Richie says from this pulpit regularly, you are new as in never existed before. That is a new you. You are new as in born again. That's new. You are new as in a child of God. That's new. You are new as in this is your new identity. If you are in Christ, you now know who you are. See, this is real life. Real life is Jesus Christ. That's real life. Every believer, every Christian, every child of God possesses life because we have received Jesus. Period. That's good news. Amen. There's no other reason. You have life because you have received Jesus. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Colossians two six. See, being a new creation in Christ—that's just real life. That's real life. This is imperative. Listen. This is imperative to understand. The very first transaction between a believer and God is life. You get that? You should be jumping out of your seats. I mean it. The very first transaction between God and you as a believer in Jesus Christ is He gave you life. Holy moly. You have been given life. Pentecostal in here in a second if I'm not careful. <laughs> Do you see how your life must be first before your purpose and any of your passions? You can't get it twisted around the other way. You just can't. You can't pursue your passions and then just somehow ask Jesus to come along. Come along for the ride, Lord. But we do it, don't we? We get ahead of the Lord all the time and we get our passions all cranked up and we're all excited about something and it's because it's all about me. We forget to even bring them in. It's not about us. Now, you may agree with that. Do you agree that it's not about us? Yeah, that's what God's Word says. Now, you may be in agreement that because you're thinking, right, you're right. I've heard that before. I've even read it before. My life isn't about me. My life is about Jesus. Well, actually, 
No. Your life isn't about Jesus. Your life is Jesus. Don't walk out of here today thinking that your life is about Jesus. Because it's not. Your life is Jesus. You see, the first transaction between God and you as a believer was life. Life in and with Christ Jesus. Your life is Jesus. That's exciting. Colossians 3, 4, one of my favorite verses for my life now. Because God has me on a roller coaster ride. Probably you too. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Don't think that that's a future event. Because the present tense of that verse says, When Christ, who is your life now, in the future appears in glory, of course we're going to be with him. Of course we're going to be with him. Biblical truth. But he is your life now, you see. If you're a believer, Jesus is your life. And of course, by implication, what does that mean? If Jesus isn't your life. Sobering thought? Sobering thought. Sobering as it is, please understand that as a believer, you and me, we're in sanctification, aren't we? This is the process, isn't it? It is a process for sure. We are in process and we are being regenerated. But God's word is clear. Your identity isn't in Jesus Christ as much as your identity is Jesus Christ. Please leave here today knowing that. Remember, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is also imperative to understand. If you are confused about your identity here today, you will not be able to live the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Please do not be confused about your identity as a believer. Your identity is Jesus Christ. In order to be set free to live with purpose and passion, Galatians 2.20 must be appropriated. You've got to own it completely, meaning that you were crucified with Christ. What that means is, is that even your passions were crucified with Christ. You see, your old life died. But you see, that's good news. Because all of your old life died. And you were made new. And so when you have passions, and you are a new creation, and the old has passed, that means all of the old has passed. All. All in every language in the world still means all. Further in Galatians 5.24, God's word says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Have you? Powerful questions. If you belong to Christ, have you crucified your old 
passions and desires in your flesh. Have you crucified them with Christ? That's what Calvary was all about. True victory and freedom in Christ is rooted in your identity. That's true freedom. So when you appropriate these truths, that as a believer, Jesus is your life, you will be set free. I assure you, when you appropriate fully that Jesus is your life and that that is your identity, that's where true freedom starts. It starts there. You will understand that your life is more than going to church or having some perform some religious ceremony of some kind. You will understand what real life is all about. And it is not your imagination or imitation or reformation or confirmation or education. It's about regeneration. Because that's what we're in. Transformatively, we're being regenerated because we're new. Because our identity is Jesus Christ. Appropriate that because it's true. Your life is Jesus. Your identity is Jesus. Here is a wonderful truth. Right now, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And when God the Father looks at Jesus, he sees you. And when he looks at Jesus, he sees you. And when he looks at Jesus, he sees you and you and you and you. And the Father in heaven, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus and you and you. That is awesome. <laughs> That's your identity. You want true freedom? Live in that. Live in the fact that you know who you are. It's not because you are even in Christ, even though that's true. It's because your identity is Christ. Huge difference. And it's not just for in this building. Walk out the doors with that truth. That's freedom. God did away with so many things at Calvary. He did away with sin and its power. He did away. The cross marks the death and complete termination of your flesh in the sight of God. You are acceptable, pleasing, and fully righteous in his sight. Amen? Amen. Why don't we live that way then? <sighs> see, can you see passion in that? Can you see passion in the fact that your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ? Christ is your identity. You want true freedom to pursue your passions? with real purpose, then die to your passions 
just give your passions, my passions, give them all up to God. Because the radical truth is, it's not about doing. It's about dying. And when we die to ourselves, because we all agreed in this room just a little while ago that it's not about us, how can it be about us when our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ? Our identity is Jesus Christ. It's about Him. And yet, the miraculous thing is, I'm telling you, I lived a miracle. Three seconds from impacting the ground headfirst at 100 miles an hour, and the only explanation is that God saved my life that day so I could be saved. That's passion. Don't let your relationship with the living God be anything other than passion. It's real. A violent emotion. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to Him. And He will make your paths and your passions straight. Assuredly, He will. <clears throat> submit all your ways to Him. He will give you a passion for life. Because your life is Christ. He will give you passions in your life. He will give those to you because your life is Christ. Passions are awesome, powerful, violent emotions that just grab you to the core, especially if they come from the Lord. Amen. Life, purpose, and passion in that order because Jesus is your life. God is going to give you the passions so that whatever you do then, do everything with your passions to the glory of God. Amen? You see it's not about us. Our identity is Jesus Christ. And with that identity, we are set free because we know who we are to pursue every conceivable passion that God wants to give us in this life because of who we are and how he sees us. Leave here today with that truth. Leave here today with the truth that your life is Christ. He's not sitting next to you. You are identified with him because your life is Christ. Man, we've been talking about the fundamentals of the faith. That's about as fundamental as it gets. Knowing who you are provides 100% victory in Christ and freedom in Christ. Now live. Now just live as God wants you to live abundantly. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, could you please?
you come up and just lead us into, into communion? We're going to take communion. And I'm hoping that we're going to take communion today. I'm hoping we're going to take it with a new sense of the truth. The truth of our identity. That Christ is our life. Amen.